straight up the price of admission growth stories life lessons turning points service to others truth no bullshit adding value no smoke and mirrors being the pressure third down and ten fighting below the surface win or learn always the underdog with a chip on your shoulder these are the things that i think about when i talk to this group they're still kindling that fire taken to the fleet and beyond living the values today through faith with the family and at the job obsessed with ownership and accountability winning at all costs with uncompromised integrity pedal to the metal paying the price of admission let's go F.A., what's up, brother? What's up, man? Nothing much. You, Dude, uh, I've been looking forward to this like all week, man. Really? What part? Just talking to you, man. All right, me too, dude. I just got off the, uh, the phone with Milky not too long ago. It's just um, it's a good time. I'm, I'm so glad I did this. Dude, I, 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 I remember when you first said it, you know, when you were in the group text or whatever, and I was like, this is going to be great. Um, because like the thing, too, is like, one, just hearing everybody's individual stories. Two, great for you like doing this. Um, I'm hoping it really takes off. But, like, I mean, you, you just kind of hear people's, like, personal style. either stuff that you've forgotten or you might just not even know. Like, I listened to Cam's one, like, three times. I'm not even kidding. Yeah. This is good. So, I mean, uh, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely ahead, being sorry. selfish on this a little bit. I need to learn how to speak better. So, I figure if I do this, it'll help me with my public speaking skills. There you go, man. And, yeah, uh, there, there's, uh, there's, there's, uh, <laughs> there's added benefits all over the place, man. For sure. Well, um, dude, welcome to the podcast, episode number three. We got Jeff Lennar. Uh, Can't wait. Jeff is a Georgian. Mm-hmm. Uh, also went to Naps. Um, how much you weigh in today, Cafe? So today I am weighing, actually, I went, I went to the gym just the other day. I was uh, 231 on the dot. 231. You're beating me. I just weighed myself at the gym this morning. 237. Oh, man, you got me, Tony. And here's a guy that comes to Naps at what? Yeah, so when I got to when I got to naps, I think I was only probably about like you know two eighty, and that was you know finishing high school, you know senior year football season, then working out in the off season. So show up to naps, you know, like pretty big, you know, coming up close to three hundred, but you know, I probably like two eighty five, and then obviously you lose it during that in doc. But um, I think the uh, I, I still remember this day the most I ever weighed. You know, it was during. Um, summer lifting we'd weigh ourselves in the gym there in ricketts it was uh 325 was the highest i got up to 325 325 yeah. i think my biggest point was probably um not even at in at the academy it was at naps i just blew yeah. up body by brows um yeah, oh yeah dude i was like 245 but i was slow as hell I yeah it was move. uh it was it was great being that big uh and, and again you know like we all were especially body by brows and specifically that, that summer workout you know from the off season leading to the summer um there in annapolis uh going into sophomore year just that constant you know working out and um you know not going to practice every day obviously in the summer uh you know i got strong as hell um but just yeah getting into camp and running shuttles i think i almost died that day <laughs> yeah. well um Jeff, I mean, I remember you as like the politician of the group, uh, not in a bad way, you know, but yeah. your, your charismatic leadership style maybe helped me label you that. Kind of like the dude. The dude, man. The other guys yeah. think dude from Big Lebowski. Um, but, you know, I, I'm switching this up a little bit. I went yeah, no worries, into man. what does the price of admission mean to you with Cameron first? But what I'm going to do with, with uh, Hefe is 
Uh, I want to hear your story first, then we'll get to price of admission. So yeah, so yeah, my my story's pretty simple, man. I mean, I, I know uh, you know Cam had a great one being probably the lowest GPA ever uh, admitted into the the U.S. Naval Academy. I, I'd forgotten about that, I was dying laughing because I, I remember that whole story. But, uh, you know, for me, man, um, from a very uh, early age, uh, I wanted to do two things. And that was, uh, you know, play football at the Naval Academy, go in the Marine Corps, um, specifically go in the Marines. Uh, it was kind of a childhood dream of mine, um, you know, as a young kid running around in the woods, you know, playing, you know, quote unquote, Army man. Um, so, you know, my whole childhood grew up, you know, I, I knew I wanted to go in, into the Marine Corps. Um, and... I was not a, uh, a you know, like many of us, not a big time recruit coming out of high school. Um, got recruited, I, I think, other than Navy, the, the largest school that showed any interest in me was uh, Miami of Ohio. Uh, and that was a little bit later. I had a couple one uh, AA schools, or I guess you know, the FCS schools, they call them now, interested in me. And um, well, what, what made cool. a, well, why Miami, Ohio? Is, did you just randomly someone reached out no it actually was so my uh, i had a uh, a very uh, well-known high school coach uh, uh at walton high school in marietta georgia ed dudley uh phenomenal man and uh you know north georgia was a very heavily recruited area um in the south uh you know every year we were putting a lot of guys um just you know all the various high schools uh in north georgia we're, we're putting guys into programs and um, the a coach that recruited me from my Ohio, again, this was like later, um, knew uh, Coach Dudley. And, um, you know, they were, it was not a very big recruiting class. Uh, they had already offered another lineman. And, you know, they, he was straight up honest with me. I forget the coach's name at Miami now. But um, he was like, <clears throat> if this guy doesn't commit, you know, we want to offer it to you. But as of right now, it's kind of, you know, um, in, in limbo. And, um, which was great, you know, it was an opportunity, you know, playing, especially high school football, love football, wanted want to play, you know, for a few more years, whatever that looked like, but um, still dead set on the, um, the Naval Academy. And again, not a big recruit for Navy. Um, and if you remember, you know, Andrew McGinn was actually a high school classmate of mine. That's right. Yep. So um, he was, I mean, and, and I, I give Andrew all the credit in the world. You know, he was like your prototype Navy offensive lineman. You know, he wasn't yeah. the biggest, but he was very fast. He was very skilled. Uh, had a great playing career at Navy. He was sneaky, too. Um, yeah, very sneaky. Yeah, he was good. I mean, he was, he was <laughs> definitely our best O-lineman in high school. Yeah. Um, and I was kind of the, the kind of like the backup or whatever. And, um, you know, I, I credit Coach Bohannon um, for giving me a shot. He was the, our recruiter um, in North Georgia and uh, gave him a shot and uh, sent me to Naps. Bohannon. Yep. So he was like covering a line at the time, or he was uh, Navy the receivers coach, but his recruiting territory. Um, I don't know recruiter. where. Got it. Yeah, he was a recruiter. Yeah, so he recruited Georgia. I mean, he's from Georgia originally. Uh, his dad was a longtime legendary high school coach in Georgia, and I'm blanking on the name of the high school, but um, he, uh, he, you know, he, he gave me a shot, and yeah. I'm forever in debt for the man um, because it really. Set my life on the on the course it is today, thanks to you know Coach Bohannon. Yeah, and so your your position coach was that uh, Spence because Spence was my recruiter. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, I'll Todd Spence, man. Yeah. So when I actually got to Navy, I I was a tackle. I played tackle at Naps, um, and I think uh, I think, believe it was if I'm not mistaken, sophomore year they moved me over to guard, probably just because I was a bigger guy and the tackles at Navy's offense were a lot more uh, athletic than I was. <laughs> <laughs> to oh, Coach Spence, I was telling Doki, I remember Ohayaka 
You got Ayaka. a good Coach Spence story? It seems like there's yeah, I have, I have a great Coach Spence story. Um, and I, I, I think it was uh, sophomore year during camp. And um, he, we were watching film and the, the O-lineman, you know, with Nehemiah and Spence, you know, we were all in Bellino. And I, I think it was Paul Bridgers. Uh, I forget who exactly it was, but, you know, like Nehemiah used to sit kind of in the front and control the computer and everything was on the screen right there. And Spence would sit like a couple rows back. And I don't know if it was Paul, and I'm, I'm, I'm blanking on it, like who exactly it was, but he was like, you know, in, in the typical Spence voice, he's like, if I ever see that again, me and Coach Nehemiah are going to rent a lime green hatchback and drive it up to the game. <laughs> I, I just remember sitting there and, you know, with the, the older guys in the, in the room, and I'm just like, what What's just happened? The lime green hatchback. The lime green hatchback, man, and like I had to like Google that or whatever we were, you know, search engines at the time were. But I was just like, that is the most crazy thing. But I get it; it was a bad play, you know. <laughs> gotcha. We don't mean to hold you up. Keep going. No, no, no worries, man. Yeah. The story. Where does it continue? Yeah. So uh, you know, thanks to Coach Bo, uh, got a shot at Naps um, and showed up with everybody, uh, you know, there now. Uh, you know, obviously there's like a, a million and one nap stories we can have, but, um, you know, we, we were up there for a year and that was kind of like, um, for me, to, for me specifically, you know, naps was probably, uh, well, not probably, it definitely was to me, uh, harder than plebeer. I didn't really think, I mean, other than the obvious things with plebeer and the restrictions and all that stuff, you know, but you kind of get the homeschoolness out of you, leave it home for the first time, um. I think, uh, you know, minus you, Tony, Mary, and Amanda, your high school girlfriend, I think we all broke up with our girlfriends at one point in <laughs> her naps. I actually, we get to it. I got a funny Coach Speed story about that um, a little bit later. Um, but, uh, you know, we, we, we knock out naps, get to Navy, um, you know, um, spent four years, you know, there. And, uh, you know, like my playing career at Navy, you know, uh, amongst, you know, relative to a lot of you guys, I always kind of make the jokes, you know, I didn't play Navy football. I practiced Navy football. And, uh, I, uh, you know, looking back, I was obviously at the time, it was kind of like disheartening, you know, you want, you want to play ball, you want to be on the road, you want to be in, in the big games or whatnot. But, um, I think from a life lesson standpoint, you know, being now 36 married with a kid, uh, if, if, if you want some life lessons on, uh, humility and resilience, you know, spend four years on the, on the college scout team. No doubt. And, um, but yeah, I mean, and again, it, 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 we'll get to it in a second here. Kind of, you know, my uh, my thoughts on the price of admission. And I, I thought a lot about this, especially after listening to Cam's podcast. But um, you know, uh, wouldn't trade in the world. You know, wouldn't trade it for the world. And um, but you know, graduating, you know, fulfilled, you know, my my second childhood dream, which was going to the Marine Corps, I was commissioned. Uh, did the TBS thing, was selected for infantry, which is the number one choice, um, and. Um, you know, went to uh, got orders to one eight uh, in Camp Lejeune, and uh, did two deployments one eight, one to uh, Afghanistan, support of OEF uh, to uh, the Kajaki AO. Um, following that, came back. Uh, I was a platoon commander, rifle platoon commander for that deployment. Um, came back, was an XO. Uh, got picked to uh, take over H and S company for a little while. Ended up finishing my time in one eight uh, in the three shop. Uh, oh, what the, company? You know, uh, H&S Company. H&S, gotcha. Yeah, H&S Company. And, um, you know, did uh, the UDP with them. And then um, after the uh, UDP came back, I uh, got ex uh, orders to uh, third fast company, they call it now, Charlie Fast Company, C Company in Norfolk. 
Um, spent a lot of time overseas uh, in that duty station. Uh, I think I, I was like I deployed three times with FAST, uh, twice to FASTNET in Bahrain, once to uh, Guantanamo Bay, Cuba for the fence line security mission, and then did two refuel defuel security missions, actually. Um, one in Newport News and then one in, um, in Bremerton, Washington before uh, getting out. Gotcha. And then you got out. And uh, what are you doing now? Yep. So I uh, got out in 2017. Um, and I, you know, I was at the time, I, pretty much a year before I got out. I got out in August of 17. Uh, I think my, my last uh, day in the Marine Corps was August 11th. And I got out. Uh, and I, you know, probably the year before I made the decision, you know what? Uh, the Marine Corps has been fantastic. Uh, I've done a whole lot, a lot of deployments, a lot of experiences. And you know, just kind of made the decision, you know what? I um, was ready for the next chapter of my life. And uh, looked at a few different things, you know, especially working in fast company. Uh, you made a lot of connections within the State Department, uh, specifically diplomatic security. So I was kind of looking at potentially doing that. And dur- you know, during this time, actually, when I was in fast, I'd met my you know, soon-to-be wife. And, you know, I, I, I did not get out of the Marine Corps, you know, with meeting Katie, but I, I recognized, you know, just kind of taking a step back and you know, looking from the outside in that if I you know, wanted to be a husband and father, which I did, you know, at this point in my life, you know, is probably the best decision to uh, leave active duty. Uh, and that was just, you know, my, my experience personally. So I ended up getting out and, uh, you know, looking at a few different options. I ended up, you know, going the MBA route. Applied to different, a few different programs and was fortunate enough to get into uh, Vanderbilt University's uh, MBA program at the uh, Owen Graduate School of Management and uh, moved moved to Nashville. Um, had spent two years there uh, in school, which was you know probably two of the uh, the most uh, fun years you know I, I've had as an adult. Yeah, it was a it was a fantastic opportunity. I learned a ton because uh, when, when I got out, man, I had no idea what a civilian career looked like, like none. Yeah, I, I had no idea. So you did that uh, transition. I, yeah, and it was, and I think too, from like the bigger picture standpoint, I, I talked to you know probably hundreds of people, like you know what a transition looked like. You know, I remember reaching out to Mike Stedman, who I've just been all you know with his transition, everything he's done, uh, and obviously Mike, you know, we all go way back to naps. You know, we were three two the zoo together. Yeah, Mike's and, posting these podcasts for us. Yeah. Ironbound Media. I love it, man. Yeah, I mean, I, I've been following Mike's Mike's stuff, you know, because um, we were in one eight together too. So we went to Naps together, That's we right. were in Navy together, and then we were in one eight together. Uh, so I've been following Mike, you know, for a long time, and I, uh, you know, talked to a whole bunch of people, and I, I think probably the most rewarding part for me, you know, going to an MBA program uh, at Vanderbilt, which is not one of the top ones. I mean, it's not a Harvard. It's a great program, but it's not a Harvard. It's not a Yale. It's not a Stanford or anything. And uh, I think that probably the most rewarding part was, you know, you got to, one, experience this, you know, Cam mentioned it too, you're a student again. And leaving the Marine Corps where you were, I was, you know, for seven years was constantly, you know, in charge of Marines, where you're finally, you know, I don't say finally, but you're at this point where you're only in charge of yourself. And the quote unquote stress, uh, you know, business school, it, it, it's made up, like it's not real. Uh, the tough part's getting in. Your grades legitimately do not matter, and it's all about you know learning, you know getting a good job, and you know the recruiting is a huge aspect of school, and uh, just kind of setting yourself up, you know, for when you leave. So it was a very rewarding experience. I met a lot of great people both in the program and outside of it, which you know fundamentally helped shape my post Marine Corps career. 
What are you talking about when you say recruiting was big? So when you get to uh, so business school, um, kind of the way the model works, and you know, disclaimer, I'm, I'm no expert in this, but there's two things that kind of factor into like a school's, uh, you call it rankings or prestige or whatnot. One, it's the admissions aspect, you know, so, you know, um, their interest exam, which is the GMAT, uh, which I was certainly, you know, l on the lower end of that. And um, was that, the is that something you studied for or just? I did. Yeah, I studied for about a year for it. Uh, and even despite studying for a year, still did not score well, but I got, I got good enough to get in. I think, you know, seven years in the Marine Corps helped pave the way for that. Right. Now, I looked at that, too, but uh, <laughs> I've always wanted to see how that actually went. So. Yeah, so it, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a lot of math, and I'm not a math guy. So, um, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm studying for this thing. I like this is the SAT. All You're a politician, again. right? Yeah, I'm a politician. I don't need to do math. <laughs> I have people doing math for me. But, um, yeah. <laughs> But uh, I, uh, and then the second part about it is is, is the post employment report. So you know where are where are graduates going? What companies are they working for? And I, I learned you know again not knowing anything about what a civilian career looked like. Um, you know the two main areas you know you call it that you know business school graduates end up in is either consulting or investment banking, uh, which is basically Wall Street. Yeah. I was interested in neither one of those things. Yeah. And, um, you know, thanks to, um, you know, Owen's location in Nashville, which is a huge healthcare town, uh, and then some friends and mentors that I had, you know, known or met along the way, they really helped guide my um, career into, you know, what it is today. What, what attracted you about uh, healthcare and also where are you at today? Yeah. So, uh, healthcare. So, when I actually got out, uh, I was getting out, uh, you know, I had. Resignation in, papers done, uh, accepted at Owen. I was getting ready to move from, you know, I was living in Virginia Beach, Stacey in Norfolk, living in Virginia Beach, and getting ready to move to Nashville in the summer of 17. Uh, I had a real close friend of mine, a uh, mentor. Uh, he's an O2 Academy grad, uh, Marine. And he was working in healthcare. And he said, hey, Nashville's a healthcare town. You know, you're getting out. You really need to look at the healthcare industry. So I was like, okay. So from my standpoint, starting Owen, I knew that I wanted to do. I just, I, I just put my sights on um, the healthcare industry. Uh, now, what I want to do in healthcare, I did not know at the time. But you know, through um, you know my connection there, I met um, a fantastic guy. You know, I, won't, I won't name his name for the sake of the podcast, but he was right. an Owen grad, former Marine uh, infantry officer, working in behavioral health, uh, and he started. Uh, at the time, he was, you know, the CEO of Vanderbilt Psychiatric Hospital. But before that, after Owen, he had worked for Acadia Healthcare, which is my current company, as a facility CEO in Tampa. So he really helped guide my career uh, and shape it to what it is. So um, I interned with the company, their corporate office, the summer of 2018. Uh, and I, I spent the summer traveling around to various behavioral health facilities the company operates, uh, which I, I won't go into specifics, but just kind of get a, a wide, you know, top level view of what the company does. And I graduated um, and I was given the opportunity to be a uh, CEO in training, which is basically in layman's terms, a leadership development program the company offers. And I spent a year working at an inpatient, you know, uh, freestanding psychiatric hospital in um, Henderson, Nevada, so right outside Las Vegas. So you go into healthcare intern 2018, mm -hmm. and then 2019 comes around, getting your feet up under you, and then yep. 2020, boom, COVID hits. COVID hits. How was so, that? I'm, yeah, so I'm, I'm working in this uh, freestanding psych hospital, which is you know the, um, the model the company operates, um, and it was a you know 100 and I believe 24 bed facility in Henderson, Nevada, outside Vegas. And COVID hits, so it's a lot of unknown. 
And at this point, too, I have no responsibility. I'm essentially a glorified um, apprentice. And I uh, worked for two different CEOs at the time, working with all the department directors and just kind of, you know, kind of dealing with it. Um, and we, we did, everybody did a great job. I mean, healthcare really adapted to it. Um, and it was, uh, you know, despite, you know, the the effects and the, you know, everything around COVID, which you can, you know, certainly everybody's own opinions on it. You know, people still needed healthcare. Uh, they still needed care, uh, specifically behavioral healthcare, which is, you know, a statistic, you know, I was recently told yesterday, I think before COVID, one in five Americans suffered from mental health disorder or issue. And since COVID, it's now one in three. So the um, the demand, you know, for, uh, for behavioral health care has rapidly increased. And I think one of the silver linings of COVID is it's put a uh, it's put a spotlight on it uh, and, you know, what we do and the help that we provide. So, you know, that was COVID. And at this time, you know, my wife and I are now married. We got married in November of 19. And she was, she wasn't furloughed, but her hospital, uh, she was living in Napa, actually, at the time, California. And they put a stop to elective surgery. So she came and lived with me, basically, for about eight weeks in Vegas during the whole shutdown, all that stuff. And I was working the whole time. So the whole work from home thing never applied to me. And she left to go back. Then they re restarted surgeries in Napa. And I was like, all right, it's time to... It's time to move on. So uh, shortly thereafter, summer 2020, uh, I was uh, given a promotion and uh, made CEO of uh, my current hospital now, which is uh, Haverhill Pavilion Behavioral Health Hospital in Haverhill, Massachusetts. Massachusetts. I've been there now for a little over two years. Dude, hell of a story. Lots of, lots of stops. It's like, you know, somewhat of a jack of all trades and, you know, very diverse uh, type of background here. What, um... What's it's funny too, man. I mean, I was thinking about this actually. I put, you know, put some notes down for the podcast. And my, my high school coach, you know, I mentioned him earlier. He had, he had a great quote, you know, uh, that life's like a football. It takes some funny bounces. So, you know, <laughs> no I, know, never never in my life after leaving naps in the summer or May or whatever in 2006, that I think I'd be living back in New England and like, you know, three hours north of Newport, Rhode Island. Yeah, nice, here and, in New Hampshire. nice and cold. Enjoy the, the, the weather right now because. Oh, absolutely, man. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, it's, uh, we've done two winners and, you know, they've been pretty brutal and everybody's like, well, they're really not that bad. And I'm just like, I, it's pretty, pretty bad to me, man. It was a lot of snow. <laughs> no doubt. All right. Price of admission. Yeah. What do you think? So, you know, I, I uh, you know, I thought a lot about this. Like, I, I think out of all the points, you know, we, we were talking before the podcast and obviously listening to cams, you know, I, I put a lot of thought into this and, um, I, I remember when you were first looking at names for it. And I um, was kind of, you know, in my head and Cam, you know, put price of admission. I was like, I'm, that's, that's fantastic. I'm not going to top that. But when I, after I listened to Cam's podcast, you know, my, my first thought was, you know, um, and again, I'm not, not trademarking this statement. I, I heard it from somewhere, probably a college football team, but it was, you know, rent is due. And my thoughts on that were, you know, obviously we're familiar with that. We've all rented apartments or houses or whatnot where, you know, you're, you're paying the money. It's going to a black hole. You know, there's no equity. Um, you know, and Cam mentioned there's no ROI. And I was like, oh, that's kind of perfect. And then, you know, I, I, I kept thinking about it. I'm not going to lie to you. I, I kept thinking about it. And just this morning, you know, my, my, my kid was up. He's teething right now. So he was up half the night. My, you know, my wife, God bless her, was, you know, dealing with him. And I got up at five. I was like, you go back to sleep. I'll, I'll take care of him. And he was jumping around his jumper. And I kept thinking about it. I was writing notes down. And, you know, my, my thing with that is not to, you know, directly disagree with Cam, but 
I think there actually is a very strong ROI um, that comes with a very high price to admission. And what I, I kind of jotted down here was, you know, it, it's the price of admission, but it's also a price of membership uh, into this, you know, in my very humble opinion, um, it's an elite group or a, a circle of stand up, you know, solid dudes. Um, and, you know, I mentioned, you know, I, I think what makes our friendship, you know, we, we call it the brotherhood and that's the actual brotherhood, not the, the corporatized, you know, version that it is now from a recruiting standpoint, uh, brotherhood. But, you know, I, I've got a lot of circles of friends, you know, high school, um, obviously you guys, uh, other friends from the academy, grad school, work friends or whatnot. But, you know, this is the strongest group of friends I have. And, you know, going through Navy, playing football there, you know, practicing, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't a big time player. There was no glory associated with my career. And, I mean, we talk a lot about, you know, you know, beat Notre Dame in South Bend. You know, I wasn't even there for it. And, you know, kind of, you know, eating that humble pie, you know, and I, I would say not to brag about myself, but, you know, something is the way I think is I've always been a long-term thinker. Uh, not in the short term. And I, I quickly realized at Navy, especially junior year starting where, you know, it was basically like, hey, you're going to be on the scout team again. Like, you know, you, essentially, your chances of, you know, getting beyond that are pretty much over. But one of the things that, like, I wouldn't say, like, scared me, but, you know, I was very well aware of was, you know, I didn't want to lose these friends. You know, the, the closeness that I have to these guys um, on our team, specifically our class, uh, and that would also include, you know, our the, the 10-year vet, Clint Sovey, Jeff DeLiz, Mike Walsh, and those guys that, you know, came over to 2010, um, is because you, you Navy, right? So these guys, you know, they would, you know, they would realize it's not worth it anymore and they would quit. And, and nothing against them. They're great guys. But by default, they're just kind of like out of the, out of the now circle. And, you know, because you're not going to practice every day, you're not going to meetings, you're not going to treatment in the mornings, you know, all the things that we did, you know, constantly with each other, other every day. And I, I don't want to lose that. So, you know, that membership to me, which is simply to be associated with, you know, guys like you, Tony, you know, Marshall, Jordo, Nishak, Milkman, I mean, Kevin, uh, you know, all the guys, I, mean, I, I, I name them all off right now, Ian, um, just to be, you know, to this day when we're what 35 36 camps like 57 and um you know the the friendship that we have now you know i don't want to lose that so for me it was you know that price of membership and then kind of going what cam said you know you know clint bruce you know speaking he's one of those guys when he talks everybody listens you know i think what what makes our bond and our friendship and again our brotherhood and the truest definition of it so strong is you know we all went through hell together you know, we clawed, you know, inch by inch through that place. And I mean, if you were to look at the Naval Academy objectively, you know, outside Polivier, which it kind of sucks, you know, it is what it is. But like, you know, what do you really do that's difficult? All right, you wake up early, you have to wear a uniform, you, you take hard classes, maybe depending on the major, how smart you are. And that's kind of it. But you look at us playing football. I mean, we had to do all that, obviously. But then we spent, you know, what, two and a half, three hours every afternoon in the fall, like literally running into other human beings. You know, like that's it's just it's it's subjective in the sense that, you know, that was a very difficult way to progress through that school. Yeah. And yeah. I think those difficult times uh, or I don't think I actually I, I know is what, you know, brought us so close together. Yeah, it's a different type of college football for sure. It wasn't a 
you know, shorts and, and shoulder pads every day type of, you know, stay healthy, preserve the player, risk avoidance. No. Yeah. The risk of avoidance was doing that because when it came down time to, to get into the big arena, you had to be ready. And the only way well, to yeah, get it was ready like Paul and, Johnson and compete with that, you know, yeah, Paul talent. Johnson's game. Yeah, exactly. And like Paul Johnson's like bowl game practices were like camp all over again. <laughs> you know, so. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, that, that was and like, for me, too. Again, you know, glory was out the window. But, you know, I, I just simply, you know, looking around that locker room, you know, I looked I mean, obviously we're all classmates and we're peers and, you know, we're, we're doing the same thing. But like you know, I always looked up to everybody in that locker room. Sure. You know, uh, I mean, and the best leadership advice that I ever got, you know, um, and I worked for some great, you know, CEOs in the Marine Corps. You know, it, it came from Matt Nishak. And, you know, I mean, these are the guys like, you know, I idolize and, you know, I want my kid to, you know, one day, you know, my son who's, you know, now what, seven months, join some sort of, you know, quote unquote fraternity like I, I got to experience and be around guys like you. And, I mean, I really think it set the tempo for, you know, the rest of my life. What was that advice? Do you remember? Yeah, I know. I vividly remember that. So um, I was, it was right before my first deployment, the night that we, or I guess early morning that we deployed, uh, I was in 1A at the time, platoon commander, um, getting ready to deploy to Afghanistan. And, you know, we had to show up uh, at, at the CP, uh, like 0300, you know, my parents dropped me off, you know, both in tears, you know, dropped me off, you know, getting ready to go to Afghanistan. And I was on the bus to go to Cherry Point to, uh, you know, get all our gear packed, ready to go. And we we're getting ready to go, um, you know, take off to, uh, you know, deploy. And I got a Facebook message from uh, Matt. Uh, I checked my phone, you know, I'm on the bus waiting to, you know, leave. And he wrote a really, you know, fantastic um, message to me. A lot of those, you know, I, I can't quote the whole thing, uh, you know, wishing me luck and everything. But I'll never forget in that message was, you know, just be yourself. You know, like, don't try to pretend to be somebody, uh, somebody that you're not. Yeah. And I have taken that advice through every stage of my life and my career. It's like, you know, I'm not ever going to try to be, you know, somebody that I'm not, somebody else. But, you know, with the understanding that, you know, where I'm at right now, I could always be better. And I want to improve myself, you know, personally, professionally, you know, whatever. But I'm never going to try to be somebody else. And that advice from, again, a peer, a guy I've always looked up to and respected, um, that is, it's still advice that I, I use today. And I, I tell people that all the time. Shamwow. Authenticity. Yep. Yeah, that's it, man. Matt Nishak. I mean, this is the guy, you know, at one practice, you know, we're, uh, you know, we're, we're running sprints at the end of practice and somebody had to remind Nietzsche to take out his mouthpiece to like, so he could breathe or something and it stuffed up nose, you know, <laughs> He'd destroy it. I mean, it's always he would, yeah. Out the side. Yeah. I mean, but, yeah, but those are the people that like you, you want to be associated with. And when I, you know, my son's old enough to, you know, realize it and, um, you know, comprehend it. I mean, like the stories I'm going to tell, yeah, I work for some great bosses and, you know, they, they, all fantastic careers and lives or whatnot. But the stories I'm going to be telling are, are the guys that, you know, we play football with. Yeah. Dude, you – I hate that you say, you know, like um, you didn't feel like accomplished in the football career. Um, understand you learned all those, those lessons out of it because, dude, you're a big part of the team. Like – and your long-term goals and, and where you went on to, what I'm really excited to talk to you about today yep. is that Marine Corps career. Yep. Um, because, you know, kind of like my my back pocket, um, you know, man, what if is, you know, because I kind of wanted to go that uh, infantry route. You know, mm -hmm. I, I think I'm really glad I didn't 
Uh, yeah. But I always had that what if. So tell me more yeah. about your, your Marine Corps career. Yeah. So um, I actually, you know, I went through Navy. I, you know, I actually like pretty much the entire four years I was there, I, you know, I wanted to be a pilot in the Marine Corps, um, specifically fly Hueys. Um, and I did that MAGTAF thing, you know, I went down to a uh, HMLA squadron 269 and, you know, New River, um, got to spend the summer flying around in Hueys. I was like, I would love to do this. Uh, the problem was that I, I kept failing that as ASTB, whatever it's called, I that flight test too. thing. Yeah, yeah I failed <laughs> three times in a row. I just could not pass. I studied for it. I was like, all right. And I'm a firm believer, uh, you know, from just a life standpoint that everything happens for a reason. So I was like, all right, I was not meant to be a Marine Corps pilot. Um, so I was like, you know what? You know, I looked at, you know, I looked around and again, looking at our class, you know, you know, who, who, who was, a, you know, a, a role model and idol for a lot of us, Cam Marshall, infantry Marine. Uh, you know, he referenced Brian Stan, who we all we all knew um, going through Navy. So like, I'm going to be an infantry officer. So I uh, got to TBS, and um, that was from day one. That's I, I told everybody that's what I wanted to do. I was dead set on it, and um, you know, I, I had a blast at TBS. I'm like I'm not gonna tell TBS war stories, but I, I really enjoyed the experience. You know, first like actual, you know, it's not the fleet, you know, but it's like actual like military stuff versus like you know Saturday morning training or whatever they called it uh, in Navy, which none of us ever went to. <laughs> and um, then I uh, got selected, uh, very humbled. I think I, like, I don't know where I finished in TBS, but um, got the opportunity to go. Um, loved IOC. Um, it, was, it was hard. It was difficult. Um, definitely physically and mentally demanding, um, but uh, very rewarding and uh, very, very educational. Um, I was a little bit behind you in that pipeline uh, with the yeah. TAD work that I did with Sprint Football. That's team. right. Yeah. And I kept right. calling. Right. I was like, hey, how's IOC? What are you learning? You like it? And I was like, yeah, I mean, it was going into that. It was one of those things, too. I mean, again, I mean, just just kind of like going back to like, you know, playing football. I mean, it was tough. It was demanding, but it was rewarding. Uh, you know, I just and just around some great group of guys, you know, still friends with to this day. And, um, you know, loved it. And uh, got orders to uh, 1-8 uh, Camp Lejeune. And it was the timing was almost like perfect. So, you know, obviously you're waiting to get orders of where you're going to go. Uh, probably uh, two, it's a three month course, probably about two months. You're, you're at it like right before you go to Palm Fex, 29 Palms, you get your orders. We're going to 1 8. Um, and 1 8 had been, uh, they had a very kinetic deployment uh, they had just gotten back from in Musa Kala, so Northern Helmand Province, Afghanistan. And they were almost immediately slated to go right back. So when we checked in, and I don't know, it was June or July of 2011, they were already in the workup to go right back to Afghanistan. So, you know, I check into uh, Alpha Company, uh, get assigned a rifle platoon commander for second platoon. And, you know, it, it was uh, my, my company commander had done three deployments with three, four in Iraq, uh, include the invasion. Uh, this was going to be a second as a company commander to Afghanistan in 1-8. XO had just done Afghanistan. Uh, company Gunny had been, you know, everywhere. And um, all my squad leaders were, you know, uh, combat vets. Uh, so it was like me and the PFCs at SOI that had not deployed. Um, so surrounded with this experience and this knowledge and uh, did the whole workup. And then in January of 2012, uh, you know, we, we deployed to, to Helmand um, in support of OEF. Got it. And you were in Kajaki. Yeah, so we battalion was in the Kajaki area, uh, which is if you're familiar with it, nor, you know, the northern area, the green zone. And at the time, you know, 
the United States, you know, it's kind of laughable now, was like on the verge of like, all right, we're getting ready to uh, retrograde out of Afghanistan. And obviously, you know, it was like, what, like, you know, nine years later, we, we finally end up leaving in that disaster. But um, we, we, we got there and our company was tasked with uh, Helleborn disruption operations, which is certainly not the MCDP1 tactical, you know, way to say it. But our, our, what we did was we did Helleborn missions. We'd insert into known Taliban areas, strongholds, if you will, um, and just shoot out with them to keep their attention off of essentially at that point, the retrograde efforts to get everything, you know, solely out of country. So I was fortunate enough to do that. Uh, they were very kinetic operations. You know, I did that. I did a couple of those. And then as the deployment wore on, um, actually kind of transitioned to a more traditional at that time, Afghan deployment where I ran a patrol base North of the battalion CP, uh, running essentially, you know, security patrols, um, and with the intent of just keeping pressure off the battalion AL from the northern area of it. Gotcha. When you walked away with your uh, with your Marines from that that deployment, how was the tone? Yeah. So that deployment, for in our minds, was you know for a lot of different reasons, it was very successful. Uh, one, we did feel like at that time, you know, that we we had done what we were asked to do at the platoon level and the company level. Uh, and additionally, you know, I, I, I was very, very, very fortunate. You know, I never lost a Marine in combat on that deployment, um, which was extremely fortunate. Um, and again, a lot of that is due to just, just frankly, luck. Um, we were certainly in some kinetic operations. Um, there were a lot of close calls. But, um, you know, I, I left that deployment. You know, it was a very... Um, it was a monumental experience for me. You know, I, you're you kind of do what you wanted to do. You're a platoon commander, you're, you're in combat. And again, this was not, you know, by, by all means, it was not, you know, Fallujah 04. It wasn't, you know, the surge, you know, the, re, uh, the you know, surge in 06, the invasion or anything. So it certainly wasn't anything that, but there were certainly, you know, uh, plenty of opportunities where, you know, it, it could have gone a completely different way. Uh, and very fortunate, you know, it didn't. And um, I, I think, I've been, I was very fortunate in the Marine Corps, uh, specifically on that deployment, to be surrounded by a lot of very good dudes. Um, I mean, these were pipe hitters, uh, very proven in combat and their experience. Uh, my squad leaders were all fantastic. Uh, my platoon sergeant was, in, in my you know very humble opinion, was probably the best Marine that I'd ever served with, who's now the, the, the IOC gunner at, uh, in Quantico. Um, so I was, and not, not just in the platoon, the company too, uh, I was just surrounded by, you know, these titans of men, um, who had, you know, cut their teeth in the heyday of Iraq, um, in, obviously in Afghanistan, um, and I, these, you know, squad leaders, I, I say young, I mean, I was like, well, like 24, but you know, not, you know, 20, 21, 22 years old. Um, but just incredible, incredible Marines and, uh, knew their jobs. And frankly, you know, it, it, it really made my job as a platoon commander extremely easy. Uh, and I'm forever fortunate for to, to serve with those guys. Doesn't that just change the total game when you have a team like that? Like a whole bunch 100%. of badasses on your team? It yes. It is like the most enjoyable, probably, uh, job you're ever going to be in. <laughs> when, it, when everyone... It, it, 100% accurate. Yeah. I mean, it was like, I, mean, I would go, I mean, I, we would do squad patrol. So squad leaders are on the show and our, our kind of, you know, call it SOP or TTP was, hey, we take contact, 
squad is going to fight the squad. I'll just radio up the bullshit to hire. Um, if we need air, update them on the sit rep and all that type of stuff. Yes. And, you know, you just look at these, you know, squathers. And, and a funny story I'll, I'll never forget. You know, we were uh, – I was out with third squad. Squather was, you know, uh, Sergeant Herrick. Um, and, um, you know, on his third deployment, uh, you know, at Iraq, Afghanistan vet. And I just called him up on the air and I uh, was like, you know, I, I asked him a question or whatever it was. And he was just, you know, he just responds, you know, in the middle of contact. He's like, talk radio, you're on the air, you know. And, uh, I mean, these, these guys, I mean, he's fighting his guys, you know, he's in, 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 the, in the middle of shit. And uh, just calm, cool, and collective, you know. Nice. I mean, there was never a time where I was looking around, despite, you know, the, the connect, uh, connectivity and you know, what we were going through. I was like, oh, man, we're in trouble. I never, never felt like that. And that, is, that credits not only the NCOs, the squatters, the team players, but even the junior Marines. I mean, um, yeah, they were all just, just great dudes. That's a lot of fun, too, when you can have some fun with it. Um... Yeah, and, and you talked about, you know, as soon as you, you made contact, you squadler's got it, right? Now you're out and yep. up, right? As you should be, is out and up. But once, and, you know, once you start not being able to, once you start shifting your priority down and in on a lot of stuff, you start to lose it, right? Yeah, and I, I think, you know, one of the things I always remember, um, you know, checking into TBS and at the time, you know, Colonel now General Alford was the CEO of the basic school at the time. Was, you know, when we were there, you know, he, uh, he always had this thing or this saying, I forget when he said it at one point, but it stuck with me as like, you know, your job as a platoon commander is to work yourself out of a job. And that's exactly what it was um, on that deployment. When I was in Afghanistan is like, you know, situation would develop, you know, we'd take contact or whatever. And, I would just kind of sit back and be like, all right, you know, like send up the, the sit rep, the Salter report, whatever. And you know, the squad that had it. Right. Um, it was, it, it was just one of those things. And, you know, why I always consider myself fortunate because I, I know for a fact, you know, that wasn't always the case for a lot of guys and, you know, they didn't have that. But for me, just relying on these NCOs, my platoon sergeant, and then my company hire too, you know, the, my COXO, my XO is still a good, good friend of mine to this day. He was a groom's from my wedding. Um, again, kind of like, you know, quote unquote, big brother. Uh, you just had this support, you had this knowledge and it was just this, I mean, that, that deployment and that specifically that company that I was in alpha company was, I mean, it was probably the best year ever. It was a super bowl team. It sounds like a comp, team full of confidence. Yeah. Well, that's, yeah. that's one of my themes that I want to try and hit throughout this whole uh, podcast series is all right confidence winning teams turning confidence yep. around you know um you just that makes or breaks a team and, and it's not like confidence swagger over you know not humble um not not so much that not arrogant but true confidence right yeah and it's true. just like it, it is and you know i i 100 agree with you man it, it's like you know, hard but humble. I mean, there's a hundred different like sayings you could say about it. I mean, our battalion commander is an example during that deployment. I'm still very close with, you know, a mentor of mine. Um, I mean, you could spend 30 years in the Marine Corps and never have a boss like our, our battalion CEO on that first deployment, 1 8. But it, it, it's just this, um, it, it's this. It's, it's tough to even say, but it was just like it was just perfectly fit, um, and everybody had their their roles and responsibilities, but more importantly, knew their roles and responsibilities, 
And I've kind of taken from that is like, you know, I, I don't ever, I've never and probably will never pretend to be the smartest man in the room, but I want that room to be filled with people who are the smartest people in the room. Yep, no doubt about it. And that's kind of, you know, that's basically what it was. I need to stop saying that. Keep on catching myself say, no doubt about it, but there's no doubt yeah. about it. Like, there's no, I don't know. I am not the smartest guy in the room. I got to find somebody who is and put him in the room. <laughs> Dude, good story there. Um, biggest takeaway from, do you have any you know, key learnings that you came back and was like, wow, okay, I am different in this way now? Yeah, so I would say, you know, especially in that deployment, um, you know, being in combat and whatnot, I mean, you, you, you definitely get like a PhD in life. Um, and I think one of my, my, my takeaways in that regard was, you know, it, 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 you really start, you know, the bulls start flying, you can very quickly prioritize you know what is actually important and what is not important and you also realize you know later in life and I got a ton of leadership lessons you know just from my current role is you know you don't take anything for granted and uh, the importance really for me and I you know I, I keep saying this is, is the importance of a strong team of people we can rely on because trust me like second lieutenant slash first lieutenant on that deployment you know I, I was I was very successful because of the people that I had around me and, you know, moving forward in life is like, that's a very important, I would say, uh, not, not, not trait, but um, something to look out for is, you know, your team, you're only as strong as your team, basically. Um, so if you got a weakness somewhere, you know, you need, you know, you need to bring in the, uh, the person or the position to, uh, you know, to make that team stronger and, you know, have, I had four squad leaders, uh, my platoon sergeant. I mean, they were the guys that were making that, that platoon flow. Um, I don't, I don't take credit for it, you know, for a second. I mean, they were, they were the strength of the platoon, um, leaders we had. So I, I would definitely say, you know, it's, it's the importance of those leaders that's going to make your team stronger. I mean, you can be the greatest, Greatest leader in the world, you know, uh, you, you know everything, you read every leadership book, but if you don't have strong people working for you, it's just not going to work. Yep. Steve Jobs, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. Mm -hmm. um, I think you said that. But, uh, well, yeah, the, uh, let's jump to transition. Heck yeah. Story there. So transition, um, you know. You got your master's degree. What really drove you to to making that decision to uh, obtain that? Yeah, so I, um, again, you know, looking at, so I, you know, I got out, I ES'd in, you know, 17. I was admitted to Vanderbilt uh, the summer of 17. Um, so probably late 2015, early 16, I, I kind of made a decision, like, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get out. And it wasn't one of those, like, I'm on the fence, I'm going to explore some options. Like, I knew that I was going to get out. I'm still focusing on the job at hand. Obviously, I was in the Marine Corps for about a year and a half. But um, I knew, I, once I, you know, kind of commit to a decision, I, I was going to do it. And I, I think, you know, a large part of my decision to pursue a master's degree in MBA, um, you know, one of the reasons was, you know, I had a history degree from Navy. Uh, I'm a huge history buff. I read yes. it to this day. But I did not want to do anything history-ish related. Uh, my dad's a lawyer uh, and, you know, re retired now, but he's a lawyer. And, you know, a lot of lawyers actually have history degrees, I found out through this transition process. And I called him one night and said that, like, hey, you know, if I got out, I might be a lawyer. And he just started laughing. 
um, kind of awkwardly long. And then he gave me reasons why I shouldn't be a lawyer. So I'm like, all right, I'm gonna go ahead and rule that out. Why is that? And uh, it, it's it's so being a, being a lawyer is actually what I found is, is it's a great you know great profession. But it's uh, it's brutal in the sense that you know law school's tough. But outside of that, um, there are more lawyers than there are lawyer jobs. Even after and, the pandemic, with everyone going crazy, so I can't speak the pandemic. I mean, this was 2016, <laughs> you know, whatnot. But um, you know, my, my dad said, you know, he, he was basically just like, you know, mo- so he when he first got to law school, he did trial law, working 100 hour weeks. You know, pay wasn't that great, um, and he ended up going to the corporate side, the general counsel route, and whatnot. Um, yeah. And kind of, kind of steered me away from it. And again, I don't regret that. I mean, again, I had no aspirations or desires to be a lawyer. I just thought, like, oh, I have a history great good law school. But um, I had actually talked to a couple people who had transitioned out and got an MBA. And they said, um, you know, the most rewarding part about it was is they were able to explore a lot of industries, a lot of careers. They got to meet a lot of really great people who were um, – you know, enter the program from a variety of different careers uh, and really help them figure out kind of what they wanted to do. Yeah. And that was kind of a selling point to me. Gotcha. Um, yeah, that I makes was like, sense. okay, that makes it. It was like, to me, I was like, okay, I, I can, I can spend two years figuring out what I'm going to do, you know, at least for the next couple of years of my life, you know, yeah. you're going to end up working for a lot of companies, move around a little bit. Um, but um, that was kind of, kind of the selling point to me. And then I was, uh, fortunate that like I didn't have any other options by this point when I finally got accepted to Vanderbilt. And I was like, well, I mean, it's number one, it's what I want to do. I want to go to grad school and go to Vanderbilt, move to Nashville, but it's also the only option at this point that I have on the table. Why, why Vanderbilt? Uh, so I had applied to a few different programs and uh, that was the best one that I got into. And I knew people in Nashville, actually, that, you know, that I referenced earlier. Yeah, the first two years of your life, which we'll get to. Yeah, no, it was. And uh, I, I'd actually, as a kid, lived in Nashville, outside Nashville. I grew up there, and we lived there from the time I was probably about two until high school when we moved to Atlanta. So I, gotcha. I knew people in Nashville. And I also, at the time, I was like, well, if I'm going to the Marine Corps and put roots down somewhere, you know, I'm, I'm going to do it in Nashville, where, lo and behold, I'd Nine leave there, go to Vegas for a year, and now I live in New Hampshire. <laughs> oh, New Hampshire. Yeah. Hey, nice. It's all good. <laughs> you go to Vandy now. uh Massachusetts, what made it the mm-hmm. best, to, the funnest two years? Yeah. So uh, the, the, the deal with you know being in grad school those two years is again, I mean, you're just responsible to yourself. Uh, classes are only Monday and Thursday. Goodness. Monday through Thursday, excuse me. Okay. Um, and yeah, I mean, again, working like you know as a Marine, you're always kind of on call. You know, leadership twenty four seven. And it was just very low stress. Um, you know, you show up to class, you ask a question, do your homework, you're going to pass. And I, uh, yeah, I, I just really enjoyed it. I mean, it was a great time. My wife and I were dating my first year. We ended up getting engaged my uh, start of my second year there. Um, but she was again, you know, working uh, in California at the time, so I was kind of doing the whole geo bachelor thing the whole the whole time I was there. And it was it was great for me in a lot of sense. I met a lot of really great people who I'm you know friends with this day. And I was able to learn, you know, different career routes, different industries, uh, build up, you know, just, you know, corporate financial knowledge, you know, the courses you took and really just kind of, uh, it really allowed me to set myself up for um, a civilian career post Marine Corps. Awesome, dude. If you, uh, if you could give some advice to anybody transitioning today, what would you, what would that piece of advice be? 
Yeah, no, I, I would tell you that the the grass is not greener. It's just all brown. And, just all brown. Yeah, it's just all brown. And I, I, I don't say that from a, a negative context of, oh, don't get out or definitely get out. What, what I say that is like, you know, you, you get people who leave the Marine Corps and they're – Maybe I don't know if it's the right way to say it. They're they're kind of idealistic. Like I I have all these problems in the Marine Corps. If I get out, I'm they're gonna all solve gone. them. Yeah. It's like no. What you're doing is you're trading those problems for another set of problems. And I think that's life. Um, which which I have learned that's life. Um, and I always kind of I always kind of bragged that I. Had a very easy transition because a lot of veterans do not. Um, they get out. It's not what they expected. They don't do well with it. And I was always kind of this mindset where like, oh, I just did it well. I, I didn't have any issues with it. But it, it's that's not the case. Those issues kind of caught up with me a little bit later. And kind of what I mean by that, I, what I wanted to bring up in this podcast was, you know, I, I did my two years at Owen, which was fantastic. It was fun. Wasn't married yet. No kids. Um, and then I moved to Vegas to train where it was a great learning experience. I was an apprentice essentially. But there's no responsibility. Um, and my boss now, my division president, you know, she did a kind of similar program. And she always kind of jokes when you're a CEO in training, it's the easiest money you're ever going to make, which is the truest way to say it. You're, you know, you're, you're getting a good salary. You're you know, living well. I'm, I'm in like Las Vegas of all places. It could be way worse. But I have no responsibility. And then when you become a CEO of a freestanding psych hospital, which, again, is a 24-7 operation. Like, I'm sitting here talking to you, having a good time, had a little mimosa earlier watching college game day. You know, right before you called, I'm on the phone with people at work right now, um, you know, making sure, you know, we're admitting well, everything's going well with the patients, there's no issues or whatnot. Your morning check-in. So, what I kind of go by that is, again, you know, leadership is 24-7. That's just not unique to the Marine Corps. That's that's a reality of a lot of jobs. But, you know, you don't – kind of the bigger picture here is just because you got the Marine Corps and you have these issues in the Marine Corps and, you know, maybe the deployments, maybe the time away, maybe you thought you could make more money, you know, whatever it is, that's great. But, like, you're going to come over to the civilian world and and I work for a for-profit company, multi-billion dollar company headquartered in Nashville, which, you know, I love. It's a great – Great company, great company has been great to me, but like at the end of the day, it's like you better be meeting your numbers or you're going to be hearing about it. So I'm on the phone on a Saturday morning, you know, making sure that we are meeting those numbers and we are doing things that we should be doing. Um, so when I say that the grass is, is not green, you know, on the other side, it, it's just all brown. It's like just because you got the Marine Corps and you had a bad, you know, OPSO or SEO or whatnot – or not even bad, but they're very demanding and you didn't meet results. Like that doesn't change just because you get out of the Marine Corps. True. I mean, that's that's life. You know, I mean, you could be a high school football coach. If you're not winning, like your job could potentially be on the line. Yep, someone you know? else is working harder than you to try and get Exactly, that yeah. So, um, you know, <laughs> what I always just say is like, hey, take those leadership traits, those qualities that, you know, made you a good Marine and, and transfer those in the civilian world. Um, because, again, it's... Uh, you know, the Marine Corps is a very results-driven business. Well, you know, you go to corporate America and, like, you better believe I mean, we're a publicly traded company. Like, we have a fiduciary responsibility for our shareholders. Like, yeah, you better be results-driven. Yep. That's, you know, that's the reality. 
Yep, I, I like to tell people, um, you know, think about, try and find something that you're interested in, something you're going to enjoy, because you're going to be doing it really hard, so you better enjoy it a little bit. Uh, you get yeah, a lot and that's, of... that's, that's really how I, you know, I behavioral health found me, and I'll, you know, quote my, that quote is from, a, you know, my, my clinical director, who's a, you know, career social worker, you know, works in behavioral health, you know, I'm in behavioral health, obviously, and like, you know, you don't find it, it finds you. And I think, you know, how I ended up in my current, you know, role or my career field or, you know, industry or whatever is, you know, one of the, one of the things I loved about the Marine Corps is, you know, every day you had a task and purpose. I mean, it was a mission statement. Like you, you, you didn't show up to work in the Marine Corps kind of wondering like where you fit in. Like you just knew whatever job you had. I mean, it could be a PFC, it could be a battalion commander, you know, general, whoever, like you, you knew what was expected of you. And you might be a dirtbag Marine, but at the end of the day, you knew what right looked like, you know, you were supposed to be doing it and you knew there was a purpose behind it. Um, even if you didn't kind of want to see it, it might, it might seem dumb or whatever. You knew like, you know, what you were there to do, um, which is kind of how I found myself in this role, you know, running a, a freestanding psych hospital is I don't ever wonder about my purpose. You know, I'm not some corporate suit sitting in a cubicle putting spreadsheets together of I don't know where this is going to go. You know, I don't I don't ever question that. And um, you see in real time, you know, the, the good things that you're doing. Um, and I'm, I'm very fortunate. I work with a great, uh, great staff. You know, the hospital is broken down into various departments. A lot of it's, you know, the clinical side. So the social workers, activity therapists, nursing department, obviously, uh, the medical staff, you know, led by medical director. I mean, these are people who have dedicated their lives to treating mentally ill people. You know, and I'm here um, in a role of supporting them, ensuring the hospital is, you know, financially successful, um, dealing with, you know, personnel issues in the hospital, uh, patient issues in the hospital, regulatory requirements, uh, the financial piece. So when I wake up, you know, as stressful as the job is, which it's, it is, and it's relentless, um, you, I, I never question like my purpose in this role. It's very easy to define. Uh, it's very clear of, you know, what my, what my job is in this, in this position. And you got a relentless background, so it's easy. No, thank you. <laughs> no, I, 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 I say it's easy, but it's it's uh, yeah. I mean, it's uh, it's just, it's just, it's constant. You know, you're always on call, basically. Um, and you know, people have asked me, you know, like you know, what's the difference between you know leadership in the military versus leadership in the civilian world? And it's it's nothing. Yeah. Um, it's the same. Yeah, with that, uh, you know, with that whole theme of oh, you know, find something you're gonna like to do because you're gonna be doing it. Uh, you know, pretty much constantly figuring out balance when you when you transition. Uh, finding something you like and then you get that flip side of well um, you know it's it's not all you know hunky-dory everyone just doesn't yeah. you know like the the loving leadership type of style and you're, you're not going to drop into something that's just you know the perfect environment it's work it's work yeah you gotta there's the a work. great um you know and you, know, you go back to like, you know, me being a politician and whatnot. It's so like one of the things I love to do is read about uh, former presidents. And one, there's a political nature of it. But two, I think it's a fascinating way to read about history. Um, and you know, one, of the, one of my favorite presidents to read outside of, you know, the Lord and Savior, Ronald Reagan, is, uh, is um, you know, Teddy Roosevelt. And um, 
you know, he had a quote. I'm going to butcher it. It's not the exact quote, but it's like, you know, people that make mistakes, people that don't make mistakes are people that have never tried anything. And I kind of equate that to, you know, you don't grow unless you're outside your comfort zone. Yep. And, you know, one of my, you know, personal difficulties, um, you know, now being, you know, married with a new career um, and, and a son is, you know, learning how to do that. And again, I have one son. I mean, people listen to podcasts. I mean, you got kids. Cam, I don't know. Cam's got like a fire team. And, you know, <laughs> and like, you know, but it, it's one of those things of like, it's not supposed to be easy. You know, life is not supposed to be easy. I, mean, I was talking to my dad recently. So, you know, we moved to New Hampshire. We rented for a year. Uh, we, uh, my wife and I, we, we built this house in Londonderry, which is outside Manchester, uh, which we love. I mean, it, we're so happy here. This is a brand new house, but we have issues. And I was, you know, just like like plumbing. And I was talking to my dad about it. I was like, you know, I, I can't believe this is happening. Like, this new house, whatever. He just starts laughing at me. Yeah. And I'm, I'm like, what are you laughing at? He's like, you know, Welcome to home ownership. Like, welcome to life. You know, yeah. and you know, learning. And I, it was, it was so easy to be. I wouldn't say easy, but it was so. Um, I don't know. I just knew how to do it. Single Marine officer. You know, take care of your Marines. You know, if they call in the middle of the night or something, issue, you just do it. But now balancing it with being, you know, a loving and supportive husband to also a loving and supportive father. I mean, this is all kind of like new territory for me. True. And. You know, Mike Stedman had a great post years ago. I don't know if it was LinkedIn, Facebook, whatever. But when he was, you know, just starting the entrepreneur thing, you know, he mentioned something. He's operating, you know, on the uh, on the boundaries of his comfort zone. I mean, it's like new things, kind of implying he didn't exactly know what he was doing. He was figuring it out, and that's kind of where I am right now. You know, is you know, obviously got, got married a little bit later, had kids a little bit later. But, you know, learning how to um, deal with obviously being successful in your career, you know, being a, you know, a great husband uh, and then obviously being, you know, a loving, supportive father and a loving, loving father. So it's a lot of those lessons, you know, we learned on the football field, you know, taken to the military or at the academy and all these things. It's kind of like one of those things where you're just like you take those like core tenets, whatever, and you want to be able to apply them to the new um the new part or the new chapter, you know, of your life. Yep. I, uh, you know, thinking about that balance. Okay. So, you know, taking, taking a, a Tony story back five years, there was a time when I, I got into the extreme ownership book, you know, Jocko. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I got oh, yeah. into that and I was like, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to do this, but it's very extreme. Yeah. Right. So, uh, but then dichotomy of leadership comes out and I was like, Oh, now I understand. Yeah, that was. I, I liked the dichotomy, but yeah, I, I agree with you. Like, I think that it kind of like it because I read Extreme just like you, and then I read the dichotomy of leadership. Um, you know, second, I was like, I was like, oh, okay, I kind of yeah, I get that. And and then after I read that, I was like, okay, I'm gonna balance. I'm gonna stay. You know, I'm gonna try and 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 you know have enough pluses and minuses to make this thing work at all times. But you know, come to find, there are gonna be times when you have to overbalance on something versus the other, and that's just my perspective that you have to get, um, you know, almost, you got to get extreme at times. Mm -hmm. It's just ebbs yep. and flows with the needs. And, um, you know, and, and that's the challenge um, for me with, you know, the family, the home and, yeah. um, and, and really just kind of explaining the why behind the what when that happens, uh, should I, should it happen? And, um, you know, that's yeah, part I think, of the growth. I think too, just, you know, for me at a personal level, was like, I was always, and again, like I, I wasn't like the 
all-American, you know, Marine Corps officer, if I would grade myself, I was probably a C plus. We'll call you the but dude. During those seven years that I was in the Marine Corps, that was my sole focus, you know, my Marines. You know, it was a Saturday afternoon. I was hanging out watching college football, and, like, something happened. Like, I could respond to it. But now it's like, okay, now you're married. Now you got a kid. It's like you do have to find – something comes up. You got to figure out a way to make it happen with balancing that family life yep. and doing everything. So the, the family aspect – um, especially now adding, adding my son to the mix, um, that's the new, um, the new, uh, what do you call it? New territory for me is, is learning how to do that. And, um, you know, it's, it's been great. I'm, I'm very fortunate. You know, my, my wife's a saint, um, and he's just so well, name? uh, Bryson, you didn't name him Tony. No, I, I we thought it was number two on the list. Number we like, two on we the like list. I appreciate yeah. the consideration there. Yeah, absolutely, man. Yeah, yeah. It was uh, number two. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, it, it's just kind of one of those things too. It's like you just and like no one tells you how to be uh, a father or a husband. It's something you just got to figure out on your own. There's no training manual. I mean, there's books, you know. But there's no training manual uh, to do it. So that's kind of like the new territory for me and learning. I'm fortunate, you know, being married to my wife. Um, she's been fantastic. But um, that's my like. My leadership development focus, I guess you could say, is being the father, being the husband, balancing the career. Um, so that's kind of you know what I'm really focused on right now, as far as my own you know personal you know quasi you know also professional development as well. I feel you. You know, there's a lot of times where I, I mean, watch well, a script on that all the time. Still, I get out or frustrated with stuff at work. Yeah, and they're like, hey, don't bother me right now. You know, get, that was me last get, night coming <laughs> home. I was like, I was like. Had a great day on Friday, and I'm on my way home, halfway home. I get a phone call. It's like, oh my god! It's always yeah, Friday it's afternoon. Home. It's Friday or Saturday afternoon. night. Friday's the worst day of the week. Yeah, and I was, just, <laughs> I came home. I was upset. My wife was like, "Just don't think about it. It's Friday. It's the weekend. You know what?" And she was right. I mean, she's 100 percent right. But just kind of like before you walk in the door when you come home, especially when my son gets older and he's like, you know, like running to me, you know, whatnot. Just taking that deep breath, you know, resetting, and it's like, okay dad mode and it, i can have a bunch of stuff going on at work but to my son like everything is perfect the world is perfect and um you know we're gonna we're gonna enjoy the day wait until he starts busting out the electronics and gets uh, into those teenage years oh, yes i haven't crossed teenage years i'm just like thinking ahead and thinking ah that's gonna be a rough rough section yes yeah, so I, 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 I'm, I'm already actually thinking that like he's, he's, he's on the verge of crawling any day he's got two teeth coming in it's like I mean, it's been amazing. I mean, I love watching him grow. He's a great age right now, seven months. But uh, it's only going to be it was it little people, little problems, big people, big problems. No doubt, dude. Well, man, that was awesome. What um, what's next for El Jefe? Yeah, man. So for me, um, I think uh, you know, family wise, at least, you know, we're we're certainly already talking about having uh, probably one more kid. Um, you know, remember that Bryson. name. Remember What's that? To, remember that name, Tony, just in case. I, I remember Tony, yeah. Right. My wife is very, very, you know, fingers crossed it's going to be a girl. Um, and I was actually convinced, you know, um, before we found out, you know, uh, the sex of my, my son, it was, it was going to be a girl. I was convinced they're probably going to be a girl, but, you know, I got sons. So now I'm kind of like, you know, it's probably, you're going to probably have another son. My parents had two sons. And um, so that's the goal here. We're, we are loving New Hampshire. Um, and I got a lot of upward mobility with the company, uh, obviously, you know, doing well and whatnot. Um, a lot of support there, but, uh, we're, again, we're living in New Hampshire right now and absolutely loving it. It's a great state minus the winters, but I did get a snowblower. So I'm ready to, ready to rock, uh, nice. this winter, but, um, yeah, man, it's, uh, just building the family, uh, growing the career and, uh, just enjoying the, enjoying the ride. 
do appreciate the talk today. If you ever want to get away from that cold winter, I mean, Kentucky's winters are still pretty cold, but there's no way that's close to New Hampshire yeah. for sure. But uh, man, awesome time. I uh, appreciate the the learnings today and, and helping share your story to, to a couple of folks out there that may want to hear it. And I know the guys already love this. They're, they're eating it up. Um, I'm eating it up. I'm having a great time. I'm addicted uh yeah i mean i i can't thank you enough for this idea tony and again i'm i mean again credit to you for coming up with this This is a fantastic um idea and i mean i i can't wait i mean i was like super i I woke up like early obviously my kid was up or whatever was like i was like super excited about this uh i mean again i I told you i listened to cam's episode like three times um i I know you're just going through the list here and i just can't wait to hear um, you know what everybody says, and it's a great way too, because obviously we're, we're we're connecting group texts and you know talking about um, you know whatnot, but just hearing everybody's individual stories, man, I'm I'm just this is just awesome. Yeah, getting away from the the more belligerent like weekend. Yeah. Hey, what's going on? Stuff actually yeah. doing some sincere catching up is yes, yeah, sincere catching up. So. Yeah, not just complaining about you know the uh, <laughs> the football schedule thus far. <laughs> <laughs> All right, dude. Well, hey, have a good rest of the day. Uh, Thanks for the story. Tell the family I say hello. Absolutely. Tell you the same, man. Looking forward to talking to you soon. All right, bud. Bye.